One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie, and welcome to a Wednesday in September. You guys, I want to let you know we are hosting our first live event since pre-COVID. It is called the Holiday Gift Guide Happy Hour Live, and we're so excited about it for a couple reasons. Number one, our gift guide episode that we do every single year, and it comes out on a Friday in November perfect amount of time for you to get your shopping done is one of our favorite episodes to record hands down it is so fun and here's why it's fun it's because we get to showcase companies and organizations that we believe are making a difference they're usually small businesses or they're run by women or they're black owned or they have a give back model we want to elevate these organizations and so we get to do that every year on our holiday gift guide but this year it's live Yes, we are recording that at the end of September at a venue here in Austin, Texas, and there are a couple of tickets left. You can go to jamieivy.com slash gift guide live. That's jamieivy.com slash gift guide live. That event, like I said, is in Austin, Texas at the end of September. It's very limited seating. We are going to be very cautious with COVID. And so we would love to have you there. I have two guests that are joining me. Gina Holiday and Jessica Honiger are going to co-host this with me. And we're going to bring you some amazing companies and organizations that we believe are worth you spending your money on this holiday season. You guys, today's guest on my show is Mike Cosper. And if you have been listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that Christianity Today puts out, you are familiar with Mike Cosper because he is the host and the creator and the editor and all of the things at this podcast. And I will say I have been intrigued with this show for very long, and I think Mike's doing a phenomenal job with it. And so today we sit down and talk with him about what it's been like to create the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the podcast that he hosts at Christianity Today. One thing that I want you to know is that the story of Mars Hill is about so much more than just one person and one church, but rather it encourages us to examine what we're really after in a church, what we care about and who we're giving praise to. I'm really thankful for this conversation today with Mike and what his team is creating by sharing stories that we think really matter. And they're doing that over there at the rise and fall of Mars Hill. If you haven't listened to it, go find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to ask you a favor, you guys, when you're done listening to the show, you can do it now, but listen, get through the whole show. We would love it if you would rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. In fact, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go give us a rating of you. We love it. But we also would love it if you listened on another platform. Uh, a lot of us podcasters have been talking about how Apple Podcasts hasn't really been giving us all the downloads that we're having. And that's a lot of behind the scenes information that is who cares? You don't care about. But I have switched my podcast listening to an app called Overcast. You can also listen to the Happy Hour with Jamie IV on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Overcast, which is where I listen to. You can go to Podbeam. What I'm saying is there's a lot of places that you can listen to podcasts and it helps if we spread the love around there. But I would love it wherever you listen, if you would rate and review the podcast, because it really helps more people find the show. All right friends, here's my conversation with Mike Cosper. Mike, welcome to the happy hour. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so exciting to have you here. Introduce yourself to all of my listeners. 
Yeah, so I'm the director of podcasts at Christianity Today. Been on staff there for, I guess, about 18 months. And prior to that, I spent a few years producing podcasts for a bunch of churches, nonprofits, individuals, that kind of thing. And prior to that, I was a pastor for 15 years at a church called Sojourn in Louisville. Awesome. What do you love about podcasting so much? I have my own opinions, but I just love it. What do you love about it? Yeah, you know, I grew up like in a radio family. So. Early memories in my house, Garrison Keillor was always on, you know, listening to This American Life from when it first came on. So I've just always loved, you know, narrative storytelling. So I was drawn to the genre, you know, as soon as it kind of came out. But, you know, I think there's something interesting. There's something immersive about podcasting that's just really unique. You get kind of lost in somebody else's head for a little while. And I love that. And I I think it's a, a unique storytelling format, too, where you get to play with the writing. You get to play with the narrative in specific ways. You get to play with words in a way that, you know, with visual media isn't quite the same thing. I agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, my podcasting looks way different than your podcasting. I like to interview people. And so that's what I'm doing here on my show. But I remember about maybe a year and a half, maybe after I started the show is when Serial came out. Remember the podcast? Mm -hmm. And I always say that that is when I found so many of my friends actually started listening to podcasts because I, like you, had been listening to This American Life. I mean, we would have to download them on our little iPod. You know, we'd go on a trip and let's get, you know, if we miss a sermon or something, we could download it. And then Serial came out and I thought, and then Apple put the podcast app on the new uh, system. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I think that's when podcasting just took off and I'm thankful for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Serial was the thing that kind of blew it open. And, but you know, I mean, it's, it's funny too. I mean, you know, Rogan is still the biggest podcast ever. He was one of the first guys. Yeah. yeah. He was making podcasts. I remember reading an article where he was talking about it and early days, he'd get on an airplane and end up sitting next to somebody interesting. And he'd just pull out a, his phone and record a conversation on the phone on the airplane. And that was a podcast, you know, it's like there was something sort of like the Wild West about it back then. And in some ways, it still is the Wild West. But yeah, it's interesting to watch a medium come from nothing. It's the only one in our lifetime that really functions that way. That's so true. I was talking to someone years ago. Well, not years ago, but I was talking to someone and, and we made a, she made a point that she's like, Jamie, when you were in college, which I'm 43, she's like, when you were in college, what you do for a living, it did not even exist. And so I tell my kids often, I'm like, listen, you have dreams of what you're going to do, but there are things that you'll end up doing that do not even, they haven't even been entertained by someone's brain right now. And isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like programming a self-driving car. Like who would have thought of that? 20 years ago. I still don't know that I'm getting in one anytime soon, but you know, <laughs> there's that. Never well, Mike, you are in the storytelling world of podcasts right now, and you have created a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill with Christine Today, where you have created it and you're producing, you're doing everything on it, aren't you? I mean, you are the man behind the curtain on this show. And I first heard about my friend Jackie texted it to me. And now I just listen every week and think, well, first of all, my jaw is usually open. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to talk about this with someone. So I have tons of questions about this podcast, but I want to first, you just set it up for our audience and tell them what is the show that you're creating? Yeah, so it's a story of Mars Hill, Seattle. Uh, church was planted in 1996 and existed for 18 years. And, you know, there was this sort of meteoric rise. By 2007, you know, Mark Driscoll was headlining big national conferences. You know, at, at the height of the church, it had 15 locations in four states, more than, you know, somewhere between 13,000 and 15,000 people, depending on who was counting and how they were counting. You know, it is with church numbers. Like, right. <laughs> But yeah, there were a number of controversies throughout the years for a variety of reasons. And all that started to come to a head 2012, 2013, resulting in the lead pastor, Mark Driscoll, being put on leave in 2014. 
And during that leave of absence, he resigned as sort of discipline was being prepared for him. So, and then the most remarkable, I think, part of the story is that the pastor resigns and then nine weeks later, the church closed its doors. So it's just an extraordinary collapse. And in many ways, you know, the reason we're telling the story is I think there are elements of this story that are reflective of much bigger issues in North American evangelicalism. Oh, okay. We're going to go there. That is so true. So many things, like I told you already, I wasn't familiar with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill very much before even your podcasts, but I could not believe how quickly the church closed its doors after that. I mean, I was just like, oh my gracious. So in the very first episode, which is called Who Killed Mars Hill? And you set the whole stage. At the very end, you say this, and I think I want to talk to you about this. You said, why are we regularly platforming people whose charisma outpaces their character? And then they leave devastation in their wake. And you said something attracts us. We buy in. And then we watch the collapse like spectators of a demolition derby. You asked the question at the end. You said, who kills Mars Hill? And you said, we all did. And I remember that was my first episode to listen to the end of your first episode. And I thought, this is going to be good because this is a bigger story than Mark Driscoll. And so I think I want to talk to you about that. What made you dive in on this story to talk about this? Because unfortunately, I think you could have picked several you know, people whose charisma has outpaced their correct character and then they fall. And so why this story? I think it's a particularly interesting story for a few reasons. One, Mark was such a character of his moment, right? Mm -hmm. And that's true of a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But you look at sort of American culture in the 2000s, and Mark is just sort of this outsized version of all of it, the hyper-masculinity and the sort of Gen X ethos. And so there's all kinds of reasons why I think he, in particular, he stood out. Some of it was personal too. Um, my church was a part of Acts 29 from 2003 to 2010. And during those years, because of music ministry and various things, we were a part of a whole lot of Acts 29 events and got to know a lot of Marcel guys. And so some of the people on the podcast are friends of mine. And I met Mark a handful of times during those years as well. He was always super kind to me. So, you know, I had a, a just a familiarity with the story personally that made it particularly interesting. And yeah, and then again, like the collapse is just such a unique, mm -hmm. a unique thing. And I think one of the reasons why it's a particularly interesting story to tell is that our tendency in looking at a story like this is to flatten it. And just to want to say, and you'll see this on social media, like, you know, search for the podcast on social mm -hmm. and you'll see people saying all the time, well, they're asking who killed Mars Hill. We know who did it. Mark did it. And, you know, that's not an accurate answer because the reality of these situations are complex. Like Mark doesn't become a national and global celebrity without a whole lot of support, without a whole lot of platforming and without a whole lot of people who see the flaws and weigh them in the balance and say, I'm going to platform anyway, I'm going to stick with him, I'm going to give anyway, I'm going to serve anyway. And so there are all kinds of sort of layers of contribution to this that I think are, you know, need to be examined as, as much as anything else. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about this. A lot of people I've heard say, you know, every person who works at a church should, should listen to this podcast. And while I don't disagree with that at all, I think that's a very valid thing. What you just said also reminds me that every single person who buys a book of somebody who subscribes to a podcast, who has a pastor who does ministry also outside their local church. I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus in the culture that we live in in North America. Like this matters to us as well, because, you know, who killed Mars Hill? You said we all did. Like you said, he didn't do this alone. So what do you, when people say, oh, all church staff should listen to this? Like, how do you feel about that kind of mm -hmm. that talk about that? Well, you know, you mentioned it too, like this tendency we have to want to sort of, you know, spectate, right? Like mm -hmm. the militia derby analogy I make. Like it's a part of American culture that we love heroes 
and we love to watch them burn. Oh right? my gosh, yes. And it's much a part of the process. And I think that's where, you know, our motivations often go unexamined and all of that. And so that's where, you know, as the podcast goes on, we press in more and more and more into the role that we play as as those spectators, but on both ends of that spectrum, as we're weighing the costs and as we're weighing the problems. And so, you know, when a pastor does something that's problematic, that says something stupid or says something hateful, which happens all the time, it happens a lot in Mark's story, where, where do we draw the, you know, here I can go no further kind mm-hmm. of line. And then I think the flip side of it is like, I do think the critics deserve a lot of credit and we give them credit on the podcast. But what role do the critics play as well in calcifying and hardening the alliance too? Like the critics of Mark or the critics of the show? The critics of Mark. Got it. Uh So if I'm like, if I'm sort of Mark adjacent, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of stuff that he's doing that bothers me and I'm having problems problematically and all that. But I'm also getting flamed from the outside from people who are sort of his ideological enemies. That in many ways is like, well, the enemy, they're my enemy too. I'm going to stand by my guy, right? Mm-hmm. And those, those are complicated dynamics that I don't know, you know, I don't even necessarily know what to do with them, except to say it's a part of the problem that because we have this polarizing thing, we have this polarizing dynamics in our culture, we haven't found a way to do constructive critique that can bring people together around this stuff. So the polarizing negativity, I think, is not the problem. I don't at all want to make it sound like I'm sort of lumping the, you know, lumping the blame on them at all. But it is a contributor. It is a, a part of the equation. We have to figure out, like, is there a better way to do that? Is there a better way to do that kind of critique and engagement and where we can be more receptive to one another? You know, speaking of critique, one thing that I have really appreciated about your podcast that you guys have been making is while there is critique for sure of what happened and even of Mark, it feels like you're being really cautious and also very kind in the way that you are critiquing. How do I want to say this? It doesn't feel like it's like a bash Mark Driscoll episode, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're taking a wider look at it. Have you had moments where you've had to pull back and be like, I don't know that we should say that. I don't know that we should put that in there. What has that been like for you in the editing and interviewing process? There's definitely places we don't want to go, right? Like I think about- like Where story- do you not want to go? Yeah. I mean, so the language that I we've used internally is like, you know, there are civilians, right? Uh-huh. Like there are people who sort of reputation or their name or whatever, their involvement in this is is such that sort of dragging them into the podcast or naming them in the podcast or whatever just doesn't quite feel appropriate. Gotcha. Because either, you know, it's easy to sort of examine the, the circumstances and go, man, they were really taken advantage of or drawn in for certain reasons or whatever. Or the complexity of their involvement is such that it's like, man, like it would take an entire hour to just sort of explain why we think the dynamic is what it is there. So there's some of that. And then there's a lot of hearsay, right? Like in a church like this and a story like this, there's tons of gossip that comes in and there's tons of like, well, you wouldn't believe, you know, X, Y, Z happened. And, and some of that ends up being stuff about Mark, but some of that ends up being other stuff that's just internal to the church or about critics or whatever else. And so you know, there's a lot of that stuff that we just won't go to. And so we're really focused on stuff that's number one, just verifiable. Like we mm-hmm. know these things happened. We know these things said, we have multiple people can testify that this stuff took place. And number two, you know, the stories that we tell are constructive to the narrative as we understand it being, you know, useful to the church. And so we're not shying away from stuff. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago where we talked about the experiences of women at Mars Hill and prior to that, an episode about the experiences of men at Mars Hill. And one of the things we didn't do on the podcast 
is there's these infamous blog posts that Mark did in the you know 1999-2000 era. And he posted as William Wallace on this anonymous chat board. And the content of those blog posts is vile. I mean, it's rough stuff. We decided not to read the details of those blog posts on the podcast. It just didn't feel constructive mm. getting into the weeds of how, you know, how dark that stuff was. And, you know, we've taken some flack for that, but it's also one of those things that's like, if you really want to know, just Google Mark Driscoll, William Wallace, it's all there. It's not hard yeah. to find. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know that devoting a whole lot of time on the podcast to that kind of detail is necessary when we can take things he has said and that are recorded and communicate just as clearly some of the worldview stuff that we think is relevant. Yeah. You know, as a journalistic person, you're making this show and it's really taking us for this journey through, I think you're going to have 12, 13 episodes. When you set out to make this, like the very beginning, you sit down in a room and you're like, guys, we're going to do this. Do you sit down and go, our end goal is this, or does that kind of take shape as you get into the weeds? That's what I'm curious. When I hear stories like this and I think, did you and your team at the very beginning have a goal in mind or did you kind of let the story take shape and then go from there? So it's both and for sure. Okay. Like, so we sit down and we say, here's the arc as I understand it. Right. And here are the themes. So kind of, if you follow the podcast, like what, what you'll see and what listeners will see for sure is that, um, you know, the first few episodes are semi-chronological the center episodes are more thematic. So we're bouncing around a lot in the mm-hmm. timeline in the middle of the podcast because to try and do it kind of chronologically is like you introduce a character here and then they have to come back there and it's just so many people and so much time. It, it would be really difficult to do that well. So we're bouncing around thematically in the middle and then we'll come back to chronological at the end of the podcast. So stuff like that we knew, right? We knew the themes we wanted to cover. So there was definitely an architecture, but... Things we didn't know were like, who's going to talk to us? Who's going to go on? Mm-hmm. Record, you know, and then there've definitely been surprises along the way of, you know, stories people have told that was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't have any idea that was going to come up or that that happened. Or even, you know, in, in a case of a couple of things that'll happen late in the season, like I didn't imagine framing something that way. Right. Yeah. But it's very relevant. And so there've been stuff like that. And then the, probably the biggest surprise for us was that the moment the trailer dropped, people came out of the woodwork particularly people who had said no in the past started coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know, over the last six weeks since we started releasing episodes, like, okay, I'm ready to talk. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the really interesting kind of turning points was episode four when we told there's, you know, the end of episode four, we tell a, a story about this baptism Sunday and talked about how moments like that are the reason people stay in a church where there's toxic, you know, issues. And I think for a lot of people, who had been hesitant to come on and tell their stories, they were able to hear us tell that particular story and recognize like, okay, this isn't just about sort of a takedown that we're, we're really trying to tell a balanced understanding of what went on here. And so that opened a lot of doors and, and I'm grateful for it, but I'm not getting as much sleep as I would have liked <laughs> keeping up with the reporting as we If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. 
If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You know, I don't know if you said this on the show, if I heard you in another podcast interview say that someone told you at the beginning, make sure you talk to people who also love Mark. Mm -hmm. And I heard you say that, was it on the show or was it someplace else? I think that was in an interview. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard you say that and I thought, man, that is such good advice because with what you're wanting this show to do, it doesn't want to sound like a takedown. I also thought, Mike, that you were about to tell us that the most surprising thing of the whole thing was when Mark Driscoll reached out to you and he's coming on episode 10. (laughs) That's what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. That would be the surprise, but it hasn't happened yet. How, How is it even like, this is what I've wondered, like I don't know what currently Mark Driscoll's doing. I think he's pastoring somewhere, but is there any kind of like, do you have to fight any kind of feeling inside of you? Like I'm being mean about this. I'm an Enneagram six. So I'd be so worried that like someone's mad at me about this. Do you lose sleep over wondering what Mark Driscoll thinks about this? 
Not particularly. Good. I'm glad you shouldn't. I'm putting my own insecurities on you, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm a five. So I go to an eight, right? Like when I'm stressed. So I've got the eight to pull from, you know, when I need to. But again, I mean, so much of what we're trying to focus on is we're trying to stay away from like, what are his motivations, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know them without asking him, right? To a certain extent, right? Like we have his words. And so that's what we're trying to focus on. Like, what are we seeing in his words? What are the impressions of the people in terms of what they experienced from him and that kind of thing? And so I'm trying to be careful about, you know, constraining how we, that we don't just, you know, project too much onto him in terms of terms of motivations and other things. I'm not afraid of labeling things like when it's abusive, we call it abusive. When it's narcissistic behavior, we call it narcissistic. You know, this last episode ended with this moment where somebody said, we thought it was all about Jesus. Turns out it was all about Mark, you know? And I think that's a fair assessment, particularly in the light of that story. So we're trying to be careful about that stuff so that it's not. And there are aspects, there are stories people have told us about Mark that feel off limits, that feel mm. personal in ways that it's just like, we don't need to, you know, that's not relevant. Because again, we're not just trying to sort of destroy the guy and inherit yeah. his reputation. Yeah, I would love nothing less than to sit down and talk with him and see him sit down and talk with some of these people and own some things. I mean, it yeah. could be a beautiful thing. I don't know that it will happen because there's no pattern to demonstrate that. His response to press for a long time, negative press for a long time, has just been to pretend it isn't there. So, you know, one thing that I think that y'all's reporting is doing for some people is bringing up these wounds that they have from either this particular church or maybe even a church that they've attended for a long time. And I think that, you know, if you go to church long enough, you're going to get hurt by somebody or someone because it's run by people. But there are some real things that you guys are bringing to the light as well. And so how has that reporting even been for you personally? I don't know if this has brought up anything in your own personal life with church wounds. Mm -hmm. And how has that been you understanding and hearing stories from people who are coming to you going, this is like proving everything I felt for the past 20 years. And then my follow-up to that, if you can remember, is how do we still hold on to Jesus in spite of this? Yeah. So, I mean, part of my story is that, you know, the church that I was a part of was, you know, has a parallel story, right? Like we planted in 2000, lots of growth, you know, part of that kind of similar tribe and, you know, multi-site, like the whole nine yards. And Probably 10, 11 years in, you know, there were conflicts a lot along the way. And I was the second guy on staff and I wore a lot of different hats. And so I was in the thick of everything over those years. And so like 10, 11 years in, things started to get really hard. And we had this revolving door on our executive leadership. And I spent a lot of hours and tears and sweat, you know, trying to sort of keep the thing on the rails as much as I could. And by 2015, I was just done. I was just, I was burned out. I was toast. Every mentor in my life was practically screaming at me, you got to get out like this is killing you. And I did. And then, you know, within 18 months of that, our lead pastor as well was put on leave for leadership, you know, reasons and ultimately resigned as a result of that as well. And so there's a familiarity to the story on a personal level. And I hear a lot of these stories and I go, oh, yeah, I was right there. I know what that was like. And I know as well the complexity of like wrestling with like how much was I complicit in the pain of other people in the system, too. And that's something I'm trying to be reflective of along the way both personally and on the podcast where it's relevant, right? Like, I don't want to make a podcast about me. Like, that would be self-serving in all kinds of dumb ways. But I do want to be aware of it as we go. I think, yeah, I mean, the power of the story, you know, again, sort of the power of, like, 
telling a story in other people's voices brings empathy out in a really unique way. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite Ira Glass quotes. He says, you know, storytelling is a vehicle for empathy. And I think that's what's happening with the podcast. And all kinds of people are hearing it and going, I feel heard. I feel seen. I feel like my story fits you know, in here, which is a tragedy, right? (laughs) That like this universal is resonant. But I think if we do this well, it just raises the awareness that like, this is a real crisis for the church Mm -hmm. that we have to find a way to address. And I hope to be constructive more and more as we finish the second half of the season and as talk about like, well, what can we do? Like, how can the church build something better and more beautiful? Have you found healing along the way for yourself or are you finding the space to enter into that healing? Yeah. I mean, it's been a hard road. I won't lie. Like it's been very, very hard. You hear these stories of people, you know, people will tell their stories on the podcast about everything from dramatic weight loss to, you know, you hear these horrible stories about, you know, everything from suicide to divorce. I mean, the aftermath of these things is devastating. For me personally, it was, you know, there've been some really dark seasons and by God's grace, you know, I think the things that have been critical for me and for my family have been, you know, good counselors, good therapy, get a good therapist. It's worth the money. It's worth Mm -hmm. the time. Somebody who understands sort of trauma and spiritual trauma in particular is important. And then community, like there's this thing I think that permeates the church where when you've been wounded in the church, talking about it feels wrong in all kinds of ways. Because people throw out the Matthew 18 thing and, and people talk about gossip and slander and, and people say things like, you know, you can't talk about this because it hurts the reputation of the church. And, you know, man, what hurts the reputation of the church is abusive leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And the silence hurts the reputation of the church because our bodies and souls get sick when this stuff is bound up inside of us. And and I definitely experienced that too. So I think that's been been critical and having community that's just really safe. I know and they know we can sit down and talk about it and they can process with us. We can process with them. And yeah, it's critical. You know, it's interesting because it is alarming and to hear the stories that you're hearing, I'm sure, and to hear about how many people have been hurt by abusive leadership in the church. And it needs to be talked about. I mean, it needs to be brought into the light because that darkness is really hurting people. And it's not Jesus. You know, this is not how he treated people ever. So many people, you even had them on your show who have said, because of this, I no longer am a Christian. Like I no longer choose to follow Jesus. What keeps you hanging on? Like what keeps you here after walking through your own personal story and your own personal hurt? And then literally diving into story after story after story where you're holding space for all of these people who have real lives, who were hurt by a real person and a real institution and real people, what keeps you tied in? So to answer that question, like the thing that sticks with me, there's a story I heard a long time ago about um, Annie Dillard, who wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek and a bunch of other stuff. And she was at a reading one time. She did a Q&A and her stuff's dark. I mean, it's just dark. Grim look on the world and death and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But she's a believer. And somebody asked her at this talk, you know, seeing the world the way she does, having this very stark outlook on death and loss and everything. How is it that she can have, you know, faith in a God in spite of all that? And her, her response was, because I've met him, mm. right? And that is the most resonant thing that I can say, right? Like, hold on in the midst of this, like, I just can't. 
I don't feel like he's let go of me in the midst of this, even as I've just struggled with church, as I've struggled with trust at times, as I've struggled with relationships. And, you know, I'm grateful for good pastors who've stuck with me and good Christian friends who've, who've stayed close. And I do think community is such a critical part of how we maintain faith in the midst of this kind of loss that when we get ungrounded from a Christ-centered community in some way, it makes it much easier to lose faith altogether. And that's what makes the sort of crime of spiritual abuse so horrible, is that it puts people in a place where walking in the door of a church is traumatizing. Yeah. So that's why I think these stories are so critical to tell, because the fallout is way worse than I think most people realize or are willing to acknowledge. A place that should be the safest place for someone to come in when they're hurting and, you know, people who should be the safest, most empathetic, loving, Christ-like mm -hmm. people. And then that is damaged. And you're right. I mean, it could be a generational fallout from, you know, someone getting hurt within a church. I do want to tell you, I think you're doing really great work. And I know that you don't need to hear that from Jamie <laughs> Ivy at the happy hour, but I'm really grateful for your work. It has been eye-opening for me. And I want to be real honest, not eye-opening for me as I'm like, oh, I need to look out for abusive leaders. It's been eye-opening for me to look inside my own soul, my own heart, and think about my own motivations and my own life. And how does someone show up here? Because no one wakes up one day and thinks that they want to become an abusive spiritual leader. You know, it just doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. so I'm grateful for your work. I would like to ask you, what is the most surprising thing that you've learned when doing this show? And it doesn't even have to be something that made it into the show. Like, in fact, if you've got something that doesn't ever make it, I'll take that as well. But what has been, Mike, maybe the most surprising thing you've learned or heard or what? I don't know. Um... I would say there's like, there's one particular element of the story that was a huge surprise to me, but it would be a big spoiler, I think. Okay, well, this comes out September 8th. When does that come out? It'll be like second to last episode this drops. So, okay, no spoilers here. It's just an interesting, it's a, you know, it's not like doesn't change the outcome of the story. Everybody knows the end from the yeah. beginning story, yeah. but there was a surprise in that sense. I think one of the factors in this, I can put it this way, actually, one of the surprises in this is, to realize that when people are hurt in a situation like this and it turns into a vendetta, people are often willing to do some pretty dark stuff to carry out their vendetta, right? And so you end up with this thing where in some ways at the end, like you'd like to have like a nice, clean sort of heroes and villains narrative at the end of all of this. Man, we are all sinners and all of us have dirty hands at times at the end of this. And that doesn't diminish like the fact that people are traumatized and cause a lot of pain and we're caused a lot of pain in the process. But the same reality is at work when you look at, you know, and this isn't specifically about Mark, but when you look at abusive leaders oftentimes in the past, there's a lot of pain and trauma in them. Mm -hmm. And so just as that doesn't excuse their own behavior, people who've been wounded and hurt in church who then resort to vicious and harsh and bittered kind of critiques and attacks and, you know, tactics even, you know, it doesn't justify it. It's just as ugly. It's so good. It's so good. I want to finish and ask you this is when people get to the end, how many episodes are you giving us? 12, 13? It'd be 12 episodes plus we'll have a few bonus episodes. So The bonus with you and Mark sitting down and chatting about all the things. Hopefully. Yeah. When people get to the end of this, what do you want the listener? I don't want to ask what you want them to know because I don't think that that's what you want. What do you want them to feel, to have experienced? Do you, do you want them to be different on the other side? What's your hope for every person that listens to this series? I want people to examine what they're after in the church, right? Like, what do we care about? What's in the balance? Because I think the reason certain kinds of charismatic leaders get where they get is because 
is because of our underlying attitude towards religion itself, mm. right? Like, why are we showing up at church? Oftentimes we're showing up at church in search of kind of a feeling around sort of transcendence and meaning and purpose. And we're looking to a charismatic person to answer that instead of the person and presence of Jesus and the power of the gospel and the goodness of the things he's given us in word and in bread and, and wine and in, you know, the sacraments and in community. And, you know, we need to find meaning in participating in the life of the church rather than sort of looking for someone whom we can sort of project everything upon and then, and then throw ourselves at their mercy. So I think the long-term goal of what we're unpacking in the podcast hopefully leads people to a place where they can see that a little better in themselves. Well, great job for you guys. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I would love to hear when you're not in the middle of this because you're just working nonstop and not sleeping and just interviewing people. What podcast do you love to listen to? You know, I'm a huge Radio Lab fan. It's some of the sort of the classics, right? Like Radio Lab, This American Life. I still listen to those pretty regularly. Brian Koppelman's uh, The Moment is one of my first podcasts I really loved and still listen to and on a weekly basis. And I still love Marin. I mean, people love Marin and hate Marin. I'm one of those people who like when I first started listening to Marin and I've, man, I've been listening to Marin for 12 years or so now. You first start listening. It's like the first 15 minutes where he's just ranting. You skip through it to get to the interview. And now that's my favorite part. Like I love the weekly Marin rants. So yeah, so WTF. And, you know, I love the Gimlet shows. There's so many of them that have been great over the years, but I think they're sort of the top of the game when it comes to this kind of narrative storytelling. That's awesome. What are you reading these days? I am in the middle of doing ongoing research for this. And so I'm, I'm reading a lot about loneliness mm. and the way loneliness plays into how we get caught up in sort of movement thinking, movement ideology. So I'm, yeah, I'm reading three or four different people on kind of those themes. And I just finished a book by Yuval Levine on the collapse of institutions. It's called A Time to Build. Mm. And I think it actually you know, it plays an interesting role in this conversation, which is, you know, his basic thesis is this institutions, whether they were churches or government or the academy, like people would enter those and they'd be formed and shaped in the, by them to become the kind of person who could lead those things well. And what he argues is that that has fallen apart. And so now people go to those institutions and they use them as platforms to become famous, right? So no one's shaped by an institution anymore. If you go to Congress, your goal is to become a congressman so that you can get hits on cable TV every night, which literally we have Congress people who say that's what their job is. Well, the same thing's true with the church. Like people become leaders in the church and it, it used to be that you would get into 
the institution of the church and be spiritually formed and mentored. And, you know, you would conform to a certain sort of way of leading and being. It doesn't work that way anymore. It's very easy to get in there and leverage it to you know, to get famous and to get followers and to have your character untouched in the process. Very scary. This should be very scary to us all is all I have to say about this. Uh, Speaking of loneliness, I read a book by uh, Jeannie Cunningham. She's actually on the show right before you. And she said this in her book that loneliness is actually the number one fear of young people today. Did you know that? It's the number one fear is loneliness. It's crazy. So I heard a statistic the other day that in a survey, like a plurality. So it was like there were three options. It was like, I have zero friends, I'm not sure if I have friends, or I have friends. The plurality, the largest portion was people who said, I have zero friends. That is so crazy. Yeah. And then we've been in the last 18 months of quarantine and pulling apart. I mean, it is just, it is affecting every aspect of our lives for sure. Mike, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for coming on the happy hour. It's been so great um, talking to you and we'll continue to listen to your show. And oh, last thing I was going to ask you this. What's after this for you? A long nap. Like, <laughs> Wait, come on. You've got something else for us, don't you? Yeah, no, uh, I'm we're looking at a couple of different options in terms awesome. of what we're going to what we're going to do next. A new story, uh, a new story, another big story, something similar format, you know, probably a very different, very different subject matter. So we'll Love see. It. Well, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. I hope you love the show as much as I love talking to Mike about all things podcasting and his journey with creating the story that he's done on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Guys, I want to say this. This is a little tidbit. I was recently listening to a podcast called The Holy Post, which if you follow me on Instagram, you know I love this podcast. It's episode number 472, and they interview Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel, who actually released a book in 2017 called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. They pulled this book because someone that they had actually talked about in their book came out that had a lot of abusive behaviors and they're re-releasing it. But as I was listening to the podcast and I was listening to them talk about it, it was so encouraging to me of how we can walk through and deal with leaders who fail us. And I know that, you know, Mike is talking about this a lot in the show. And man, if you've been in church or around Christianity for a while, you know that leaders are going to fail. They're going to fail us. They're going to fail their churches. And that podcast just gave me a lot of hope. So I want to encourage you to go listen to that if you're like, man, I need some hope in my life about all the things that I'm seeing that are really hard to listen to and to watch and to hear about. Check that podcast out. Guys, also, we have a video from the podcast over on YouTube. So go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube and you can see Mike and I talk. We've also got tons of videos over there for you to watch. We usually put up a video of all of our guests over there. So go check those out as well. Friends, don't forget, Happy Hour Gift Guide Live is coming up and I'd love to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. 
The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.